0: The Lloyd's List Shipping
1: Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Linton Nightingale, Senior Reporter and Editor of the Lloyd's List Monthly Magazine. And I'm stepping in this week for regular host Richard Mead, who's taking a well-earned rest. So today I have with me Lloyd's List Containers Editor, James Baker. Chair of our editorial board, Janet Porter, and Lloyd's List China editor, Sichin Shen. This week, we're talking containers and more specifically highlighting how the container sector is fronting up to the coronavirus, which promises to be the industry's single biggest challenge yet in one that is no stranger to adversity. Um, We will look at how the individual lines are shaping up and which are best and worst prepared for the storm that awaits. This is also the main feature in the new Lloyd's List magazine, which readers can access and download via our website right now. In addition, I'll also be speaking to Sea Intelligence chief executive and partner and all-round container shipping guru, Lars Jensen, on how the industry will fare in the long term, discussing whether we'll see another hand gin or whether we can expect the era of consolidation to extend even further. So let's talk containers, which only seems apt as this week containerization celebrates its 64th birthday. On April the 22nd, 1956, converted tanker, the Ideal X, sailed from Newark, New Jersey to Houston, Texas, carrying 58 containers on its decks, along with petroleum in its hold. But as the industry reaches this landmark, it comes amid the coronavirus storm. Um, as effectively, it's brought a global economy to its knees. And even conservative estimates point to four-year losses, approaching one billion for 2020. Um, container volumes are now anticipated to drop by as much as 10 percent this year. So just how bad is it likely to be for the Lions? Well, this week, credit rating agencies S&P joined Moody's on lowering the ratings for carriers, including low in MERSC to negative from stable, hapag Lloyd to stable from positive and also maintaining its negative outlook for CMA CGM. S&P said, and I quote, we believe risk for the shipping industry mounting. There is significant uncertainty regarding the pandemic and its impact on global trade. Therefore, we may revise our assumptions and projections in the near term. So let's discuss the individual lines and how they're shaping up. I mentioned Maersk there. So, James, let's come to you first and discuss the world's largest carrier. First up, I understand you feel they're perhaps one of the lines in the strongest position as we head into this proverbial storm. Yeah, well,
0: most is obviously the 800 pound gorilla in the container shipping world. They're, they're the largest carrier in the world by in terms of capacity by by some margin. Um, that, that sort of works in the, uh, for them and against them uh, to the extent that we're probably looking at a global Decline in volumes across the board of around 10 to 15% this year. So um, lo- losing 15% of a large number is a, a bigger cut than losing 15% of a smaller number. On the other hand, though, that um, that size does give them a massive amount of strength. They're, they're financially, they're a huge company. Um, they're very. They generate an awful lot of cash each year. Um, so I think in many ways they've probably got the size and the strength to to weather this out better than than some of the some of its rivals Uh, they've been fairly conservative over the last few years they've been their capital expenditure has been quite restrained Um, they've already announced that over the next couple of years it's going to remain um at what historically is a low level that they've managed to to lower their, their debt levels over the past couple of years so um and they've also sort of change their, their operating model. They're in the sort of process uh, that's been going on for several years of changing the business into what they see as being a, a global integrator of, of containerized supply chains. Um, so it's it's a new model for them, but it's one that they've been bedding in um, for quite some time now. So in many ways, I think they're in a relatively strong position to come out the other side of this. Um, it, it will hurt them it, the same way it's going to hurt everybody, but um, I think that discipline that they've had um, over the past few years will work in their favour.
1: Okay, so so staying in Europe, but perhaps makes sense to talk about Merce Line's 2M partner, MSC. Of course, MSC has a significant exposure to the cruise industry, which has been crippled by recent events. Um, And more often than not, it could actually rely on that lucrative industry when times got tough in the container industry. Um, However, of course, now both are facing this downturn. Janet, how much trouble are MSC in?
2: Yeah, thank you, Linton. It's difficult to assess how much trouble or if they are in trouble because um, it is one of the most secretive lines in the industry. Nobody really knows outside an inner circle what their finances are like and they, um, they don't publish any numbers. But yet they must be hurting. I mean, the cruise ship industry, they have a massive new building programme. I think it was meant to be up about like $12 billion worth of orders of new cruise ships between now and 2027. Now, I would assume those are not going ahead or they're going to be pushed back massively. But the cruise ship, the cruise side has always sort of been almost like a hedge to the container side of the business. Container shipping is a low margin business. Cruise shipping is, has been very profitable also, you get paid in advance for, you know, people pay for their holidays in advance. So cash flow wise, it would have been good as well. So they've been hit by the cruise slump. The All, all their ships are in layup now. All their cruise ships are in layup. And the, um, you know, the way the uh, container side has been hit. And then, of course, they had this um, cyber attack over Easter. Now, that didn't last too long, but it just goes to show that, you know, they've, they've had really a triple whammy over the last few weeks or few months Um, but it's a very smart company most people think they will get through this they're very very good at managing their assets they will probably be talking to their bankers and then they've got um, Sauron Toft who was with Maersk he will be joining as the new CEO of the cargo business within the next few weeks or months we're not quite sure when he starts because he's still on gardening leave but the thought is he will bring new discipline maybe make the business leaner Perhaps new business structures. Now, he might find this quite hard. I mean, it's a family run business that's always done things their own way. So it might be, you know, it might not go quite the way he or they are hoping, but it will certainly bring some new outside disciplines to the business. So, I think people think they will get through this, but it's going to be tough and they will be having to do some very sort of, you know, fresh thinking behind the scenes, I think, about their future business strategy. One thing I just wanted to add, there was this, there has been talk in the industry that the younger generation might have wanted to focus more on cruise shipping and less on container shipping. Um, that, of course, may now change, but it, it is really watch this space to see how they manage this crisis.
1: It sounds like Mr. Toff's going to have quite a job on his hand when he joined later in the year, isn't it? Um, Okay, so sticking with you Janet, um, let's talk CMA, CGM. Um, We mentioned previously MERS move inland and the move of vertical integration Um, and how to some degree this might help with the coronavirus. well, weathering the storm, anyway. So, CMA CGM has made a similar move. How do you think the French carriers stacking up? As there's been suggestions, all is not rosy in Marseille, given the high level of debt, in particular, the company has to manage.
2: Absolutely, it is the level of debt that CMA CGM has got that's got people concerned. It's approaching 18 billion dollars that is partly because of new accounting rules which have inflated the figure but nevertheless they've still got this huge debt now they've managed to pay off or they will be paying off some of this they've sold they've raised about a billion dollars i think it is through selling off some of their terminal assets they've done some uh sale and lease back transactions and in fact the standard and poor's report says they think their liquidity will be adequate um, but they also they have a very large new building program and people think they're highly regarded because they have really committed themselves to LNG and the, and future fuels. But the logistics company they bought, Seva Logistics, that has proved a problem, just a problem integrating it, and that has really been. Um, part of the reason why, hey, they've got big debts and why they are struggling a little bit. On the other hand, uh, Rodolf Sarde is convinced that he needs to be able to offer these end-to-end solutions, a little bit like Maersk, and that it's absolutely essential to have a big logistics business like Siva. So he, when I spoke to him a few weeks ago, was relatively optimistic. But to be fair, that was before we all went into lockdown. So everything is now on the demand side. Um, as far as, you know, how they fare, well, they've got a very big shareholder, Robert Yildirim, who stepped in, uh, I think it was about 10 years ago now, when Gem was losing huge sums of money. He stepped in, he's invested about 600 million in the company. He still is very committed to that. He thinks it's a good company. He thinks shipping has got a good future. Uh, the other people that stepped in before is the French Sovereign uh, Fund. Now, whether they would do that again is debatable. Um, they've got Obviously, France, like every other country, has got lots of other demands. And even if CME, Gem couldn't serve France in the way it has been doing, there are plenty of other container lines that could. Um, again, S&P thinks that probably um, the French state would step in if they needed to. Um, but So they are, you know, they're not in deep trouble at the moment, but they've got a lot of problems, probably more problems than others. One thing I think perhaps could help them there's a lot more talk now about near-shoring and regional shipping. And CMHCGM has been very good over the years in buying regional companies but retaining the brand. The biggest one, of course, is APL. And if you're in the US, most people still think of that as American president lines. They've got ANL, CNC and others. And these are good big brand names in the in their regions. So it's possible if there is more regional shipping or near-shoring that CMH could benefit from that. And finally, just say they are a very nimble company. They they do know how to move quickly if they need to. They've over the years proved to have very strong nerves and they will need them in the next few months, I would think. But, you know, they are the one that most people are keeping close watch on because of that debt level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, James, shall we come back to you? Um, just regarding Europe's other big container shipping giant, uh, Hapag Lloyd. Um, how do you think things are looking over in Hamburg? Um, again, not too bad. Another
0: sort of fairly large but conservatively run um, container shipping organization. Um, Habag Lloyd has sort of emerged into the, the top tier over the past few years through its um, mergers with uh, originally CSAV and then with UASC. So it's, it's become a fairly you know, large but stable company through those mergers which have actually gone you know surprisingly well and uh, the integration process seems to have been fairly straightforward with those which is not always the case when container lines merge but um, in this case it has worked well a- again fairly conservative outlook they've been also like most good at paying down debt so they've um, kept their their capex relatively low they've been very sort of quiet on the new building front for, for a long time one of the things they were able to get through these these um, mergers was access to a fairly large, fairly modern fleet. So they haven't had to go out to the yards and spend a lot of money on, on new buildings um, and probably won't be for some time given the, the current situation. Um, I guess the other thing that goes in their favour in terms of their fleet is that um, with their sort of membership of the THE, the alliance, um, they're <coughs> – working alongside um, groups like HMM and Ocean Network Ex- Express, which um, do have access to uh, large modern efficient ships. So that puts her back in quite a good position. And again, with that sort of fairly conservative um, nature, they've had a very strong cost-cutting program that's been going on for certainly a year or so, and long before the, the current crisis took hold. So I think they're, in a, again, in a relatively strong position. but. Um, as, as with everything in this current situation, yes, they will be hit, the volumes will go down, but hopefully by by keeping costs low, by paying off the debt, they, they will end up in in a position to come out of the other side of this, still functioning, still doing relatively well.
1: Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, Sitchin, uh, we're still to discuss uh, the Asian carriers. So, Um, I think a good place to start would be with Costco. Of course, it has the deep pockets of China to steer the ship. But is it too dangerously exposed by today's events?
3: Well, um, how should I put this? I mean, to quote Lord Barish from the Game of Thrones*, chaos is a (laughs) ladder. That was part of the talk among the Chinese analyst community uh, who remained uh, bullish to the Chinese state carrier despite this virus groom. I mean, if you believe the theory of uh, carriers being too big to fail, uh, Costco is arguably the most too big to fail carrier among, you know, in, in this sector. Uh, and I, uh, what I heard from the Chinese analysts is that, uh, you know, uh, they, they were waiting for the turning point, uh, meaning the time when uh, those foreign countries, the big uh, consumer nations uh, can have the public chaos under control. Uh, uh, if that happens, you know uh, the leading carriers such as, you know, Costco uh, will, I guess, reap most of the benefits. Uh, and uh, some of them even argued that uh, you know uh, the turning point might arrive earlier should something similar to the Hanjing shipping bankruptcy occurred in the current cha- challenging market conditions. Um, I mean, if that happens. Uh, opportunities might emerge uh, when the uh, state giant can further expand its scare by acquiring another distressed carrier or at least buying a larger stake into another major competitor. Um, of course, I mean we've we've heard voices from uh, from the EU, for example, which it indicating uh, the growing fears over China's taking over the world. Which can create some obstacles, but I guess eventually the governments would have to evaluate the pros and cons of a takeover deal. I mean, the jobs they can protect, that's you know they can solve. uh, Whether they want to put the political agenda ahead of the commercial benefits. Um, On the other on the other hand, the risks. or of course, you know how long this pandemic uh, impact can last. Uh, I mean, if it's if it lasts longer than expected, then you know uh, it's the impact. You know, probably it's going to be on the imagination of uh, of any people. I mean, according to Sea Intelligence in its recent report, uh, basically it said that uh, you know under the current conditions, you know nothing can be taken for granted. You know
2: uh,
3: any players uh, no matter it's a smaller private owned carriers or a large state-owned carriers or even the nation itself behind those carriers can go into default uh so i guess the future is still at uh, uh anyone's guess uh in addition to that i um there's some you know, management issues that uh, need to be concerned. I mean, recently I've been told that uh, uh, there has been a uh, a wave of retirement of uh, senior managements from OCL um, because they've, you know, reached uh, a certain age uh, to the point that they will not get uh, any further uh, in their career. So they they basically choose to retire from the company. So that raised, uh, uh, you know, some questions about uh, uh, the potential change of value proposition and vision of the company. Uh, I guess, you know, part of the reason why uh, Costco Coast Shipping uh, choose to acquire OCL is because of the uh, efficient uh, management system of the company. So, You know, um, let's see whether the younger generation uh, who took, who take over uh, these senior uh, people can sort of maintain uh, the good tradition of the Hong Kong-based carrier.
1: Okay, so how about one, the Japanese giant, Um, obviously the merging of the three Japanese box shipping entities, K-Line, MOL and MYK was uh, made soda-free, albeit as one. Um, had a future. Um, Sitchin, how do you see them coping with today's crisis? Uh,
3: for one, uh, I mean, uh, there had there has been some sign uh, uh, which indicate a probably difficult uh, first quarter uh, of the carry of the Japanese carrier. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the volume they posted in the first quarter, it's not particularly encouraging. Also, one of its parent, MOL, uh, recently uh, announced uh, 75 million extraordinary losses, you know, in relation to one, uh, which suggests that, uh, you know, the middle-sized carrier uh, has encountered, you know, some uh, certain level of challenges uh, due to the coronavirus outbreak. I guess, you know, the future of one will, in part, if not largely, depend on the the attitude of the three Japanese parents. It's, the, you know, the way how MOL, NYK, and K-Line merged their container shipping business was was a very in, innovative practice to the industry of creating a new and a bigger carrier. So I guess it was uh, I guess it, it is a time uh, to showcase the Japanese group uh, solidarity, which is now much needed by one than ever.
1: And um, we should have um, also, of course, consider Evergreen, um, such and again being out there in Asia. Um, how is this notoriously secretive line likely to fare any issue that could hinder its efforts to ride a coronavirus storm?
3: Evergreen is very interesting because, I mean, Janet previously talked about uh, the double pressure faced by MSC because uh, it has this cross-border, sorry, cross-sector exposures in both container shipping and uh, cruise ship, which are both being hit by the coronavirus. So the situation uh, for Evergreen is actually quite similar because the group company of Evergreen line, Evergreen Group, also has a big exposure in the aviation sector, which, um, you know, uh, I think everyone knows that is under tremendous pressure uh, because of the public uh, health crisis. Uh, So uh, I, you know, because the financial and uh, operational uh, results, uh, you know, are not really transparent uh, in Evergreen line because it does, does not you know list it uh, it does not list all of its container shipping business on the taiwan exchange uh, but i i would assume that uh, you know on the group level on the parent group level they must uh, have felt the pressure uh, uh from this you know uh, uh, exposure in both container shipping and aviation sector uh, and also um on the other hand um, the, uh, there were uh, news reported by local media in Taiwan that uh, the succession battle uh, within the Evergreen Group uh, seems to be uh, not over yet. Um, uh, there uh, were reports early this year about, uh, you know, the uh, the battle between the oldest son, which is uh, the de facto controller of the shipping business. And the second and third sums, um, their battle uh, of, you know, uh, their battle to seize the control over the group companies. So, I mean, the details are scarce, but, uh, you know, that does sort of, you know, add another layer of uh, uncertainties uh, to the uh, Taiwanese business empire in terms of how, uh, you know, the business, in terms of uh, including its shipping business, is going to uh, head to. Uh, But I I think on the bright side, you know, uh, the the Taiwanese government uh, seems to be moving to to provide relief uh, to the uh, virus hit uh, sectors. Uh, They recently announced uh, the plans to provide, you know, uh, 50 billion Taiwan dollars equivalent to about 1.7 billion U.S. dollars uh, to the domestic airlines and another 1 billion U.S. dollars uh, rescue funds to its shipping firms. So I guess, you know, that will at least provide, uh, you know, some relief uh, to Evergreen as a group.
1: Okay, so very briefly, Sitchin, what about some of the other Asian carriers? So HMM, Yang Ming and Wanhai. causes for concern there is there any standout um, carriers which could be significantly impacted by the fallout uh,
3: if you look at the uh, a recent uh, uh, league table posted by our liner in terms of the uh, default risks of each carriers you realize that uh, you know most of the smaller carriers except for one high uh, line uh, are actually at the bottom of the list which means uh, they have very high risk of of default. Uh, Among them, uh, I think, um, you know, at the bottom of the rankings are HMM, uh, the Korean carrier, and Yang Ming, uh, the Taiwanese carrier. Um, You know, the results they've reported recently uh, suggested that uh, they uh, were uh, they underperformed uh, compared to their larger competitors, and also um, you know the, the the large of the large order book uh, of MMM, uh, including a series of uh, supersized container ships to be delivered this year, uh, has also uh, raised the question of how you know the carrier and the alliance is going to digest those capacity uh, in a very uh, uh, weak market uh, but on the other side uh, you you would argue that uh, you know both hmm and yangming are you know state owned or quasi state owned with you know uh, the government being their uh, largest shareholder uh, will have the uh, you know will be resi- resilient enough uh, to head off the crisis uh, another carrier um uh, which uh, has been put into the spotlight a lot in recent months is the Singapore-based Pacific International Line. Financial has been reported by various media. The results, the latest financial results uh, posted by Carrier showed that uh, it it had a um, four billion uh, US dollars of uh, financial debts uh, on its uh, book and among these uh, 1.3 billion are current liabilities due within one year, so this shows actually uh, the carrier is among uh, a very big and uh, the very big financial stress. Um, so the question remains, you know, whether it, it will be actually selling more assets to shore up its liquidity. But of course, I mean, the company itself, you know, uh, recently defended its position, said that you know the sale is not to sort of rescue the company from financial distress, rather uh, basically to uh, rationalize its business portfolio to be more concentrated on the market that it's good at. Uh, we'll see we'll see how how the market will answer these questions.
1: yeah that's great thanks it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the carriers fare in the months and indeed I guess years ahead. Now I've heard from our team here at Lloyd's List, Um, let's listen into a discussion I had with Sea Intelligence's Lars Jensen on the long-term impact of the coronavirus pandemic on container shipping and how it might look in 2021 and beyond. Okay, Lars, so I guess the obvious question to put to you is what will be the long-term impact on the container shipping industry from the coronavirus pandemic?
4: The, the the long-term, and here I'm assuming we're talking beyond when the rebound is going to happen. The, exactly, yes. The, the, the long-term impact is really going to be an acceleration of trends that we were already seeing before the uh, pandemic impact. Two things in particular. One is the whole uh, digitalization of the industry, which was already gathering speed, had been for several years. That will accelerate significantly once we get beyond the rebound. I mean, think about it right now everybody is getting a true litmus test of all the different it tools out there do they genuinely help you or not and where are the manual gaps where you need tools to get the business up and running that will accelerate the other trend that will accelerate is the dispersal of the supply chains that was also slowly beginning to come and it comes from two angles both on the manufacturing side where increasingly you are seeing sourcing being put not to one large centralized location in say China, but being dispersed to multiple locations, some of it being near short. And the other one is on the uptake on the demand side, which was already beginning to happen anyway, especially driven by demographics and the change to more people in middle classes. So you would say the long-term effect of the pandemic itself, well, the pandemic doesn't cause any changes, but it accelerates both of these so they happen earlier, they otherwise would have.
1: Okay so then I mean I guess another question uh, Lars is will we see another Hanjin? Are we are we treading down that treacherous path?
4: Uh, That depends and the reason I answer that cage is it depends on the carrier's collective actions here over the next couple of months because uh, there's nothing the carriers can do about the volume loss that we're facing with that's just what it is and they have to navigate that uh, but the critical question is, will we also see a collapse in freight rates? And the difference here is significant. If we are in a scenario where the carriers, in quotation marks, only lose on volumes, then they stand to lose some $800 million this year, which is down from a plus of $5.9 billion last year. But then $800 million loss, yes, it's bad, but it's not a disaster. If, on the other hand, we also see freight rates collapse, like we saw under the financial crisis, then we're looking at a loss of $23 billion, which is an entirely different kettle of fish. And with a $23 billion loss, then all bets are off in terms of survivability for anyone. If we look at what has been going on the last three months when the virus has been out, the carriers have been fantastically disciplined. We are clearly in the $800 million scenario and not the $23 billion as of now. The carriers, all of them, have been very quick, very aggressive in removing capacity. Freight rates seen from an overall perspective have not declined, not when you take seasonality out of the equation. And we are still at rate levels that are higher than where we were at the same point in time last year. And that's even despite oil prices having collapsed. So the baseline right now does not point to the imminent collapse of carriers because they are that disciplined. But that all hinges on their ability to keep this line, to make sure they pull out enough capacity and that nobody rocks the boat in terms of starting a price war trying to win over the scarce amount of cargo that is still out there.
1: But is um, do you think the blank sailings are a long term fix? I mean, can this continue onwards if, if the volumes continue to be down? Is this is it yeah, is it a long-term fix?
4: Basically, yes. I mean, again, it depends on what what's the definition of long term. Uh, but if if long term we're talking anywhere between the next say three to twelve months, the answer is basically yes. The the key consideration for the carriers here, well, there are a couple of them. First of all To which degree should they do ad hoc blank sailings? To which degree should they just terminate entire strings? And the carriers right now have different philosophies where especially 2M have gone down the path of just blanking out entire uh, sailings for weeks and months on end. At least that creates some degree of uh, predictability where the other alliances are a bit more ad hoc in their approach. Uh, The other considerations the carriers then need to make is, should they maintain the vessels just laying at anchor, waiting for a pickup, or should they put them into cold layup like we saw under the financial crisis? And if you put them into cold layup, you would only really do that if you have a genuine feeling that this is going to last quite a substantial amount of time. For now, I don't think anybody is willing to bet money on whether this is going to be three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. So for now, I don't see them go down the path of putting any of this in cold layer.
1: So do you think we could see, I mean, going beyond, do you think we could see is there any chance that consolidation could continue? Do you think some of the smaller carriers might come under a lot of
4: pressure? uh again two different angles to that one the smaller carriers yes the smaller carriers are clearly under pressure and here i mean i'm particularly worried about uh, a number of the smaller carriers say, in intra asia the intra-asian market is still highly fragmented and i've for years been saying that that's the next round of consolidation it's going to happen out there and very likely this will also cause consolidation this time around amongst the larger carriers not really At least that's not the baseline. Rather, you should look at it the other way around. Uh, The carriers have consolidated amongst the larger ones. That is exactly why they are now able to act so disciplined, unlike what they did during the financial crisis. So now they are finally reaping the benefits of the decade of consolidation that we have seen.
1: That was me speaking to Lars Jensen a little earlier. Um, Thanks, Lars. Excellent stuff as ever. Um, So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. A quick reminder that you can now download the latest edition of the Lloyd's List magazine. Um, And in addition to the container market coverage discussed today, you'll also find all the regular features, market commentaries and opinion insight from our expert team of journalists. Just head online and download your copy today. Finally, it's a goodbye from me and the rest of the Lloyd's List team. Janet, James and Sitchin. Thanks guys. Um, And remember to tune in next week for another edition of the Lloyd's List podcast. Thanks for listening.